0: you are locked on rockets your daily podcast on the houston rockets part of the locked on podcast network your team every day how in the world do we keep underestimating these guys On that note, welcome back to Locked on Rockets, your home for daily and post-game commentary on your Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official flagship. When we last talked, it was Friday coming off the Clippers' win on Thursday night. We were discussing how difficult this upcoming three-game road trip would be. Three games and four nights, including a road back-to-back at New Orleans, a long plane flight getting in well after midnight to Minnesota for night two after playing in New Orleans on the front end Saturday night in Minnesota early Sunday evening, and the Rockets, of course, found a way to get both of those games, neither even being all that dramatic in the final minutes. With the pair of wins, the Rockets improved to 56-14 and on the year, just 12 games left to play, more importantly, coupled with the Warriors' loss on Friday night to the Kings and and the Raptors' loss on Sunday to the Thunder, that gives the Rockets an effective four-game lead on both. They have a three-game lead technically on the Warriors, but they hold the tiebreaker. They have a four-game lead on the Raptors, but do not hold the tiebreaker. So effectively, it's a four-game advantage on both, with only 12 to play. And the good news, as far as I can tell, the schedule for both of those teams is tougher for the remainder of the last 12 games than it is... For the Rockets, because after the Portland game on Tuesday night, which certainly will not be easy, the schedule does ease up for Houston, whereas for Toronto, they've got two games against Boston, two against Cleveland, those 4-2 on the road also, they have Indiana in there, at Miami, Golden State, they have San Antonio on the road tomorrow night, they have Oklahoma City, but for Golden State, of course, it's beyond just the schedule. It's the fact that right now, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, they're all out and none has an immediate return date set. So the Rockets not only are they up four games with 12 to go, which is daunting and commanding in its own right, but they're up four with 12 to go and a substantially better scheduling profile. We also think it's a substantially better injury profile. If there's one negative that you could take out of these two games, you did see glimpses. Clint Capella holding his left thumb, which they've admitted has been sprained for a few days. James Harden, briefly a scary moment in the the fourth quarter on Sunday in Minnesota, got jammed when Jeff Teague and uh, Gorgie Jang were both going for the loose ball, or it wasn't a loose ball, it was more a transition sequence. They were trying to poke it out from behind, but Teague's knee kind of brushed against Harden's hand, and he seemed to jam his fingers. I feel pretty confident with how conservative the Rockets have been with injuries this year, going all the way back to having Chris Paul miss over a month, what amounted to a bruised knee, that they would not allow either player to continue if there was a chance for them to make their injuries worse. However, there's a difference between not being able to make your injury worse and having it get better. And ideally, by the playoffs, in an ideal world, you would be able to let those injuries get better. And so I think what the Rockets are wanting to do, if you get through this hellacious stretch of three games and four nights on the road, all against probable playoff teams, but... As I said leading off, in some ways, with the Rockets this good, perhaps we no games are all that difficult. Both of these, the six point win against the Pelicans and a nine point win against Minnesota, one twenty nine to one twenty, that quite frankly did not even feel that close, other than a late Minnesota rally after they were down twenty plus. My guess is that the Rockets want to get this lead for the number one seed and home court throughout the NBA playoffs as insurmountable as possible. Before then, you start to see a more conservative mindset with the injuries, especially because making the lead insurmountable also coincides with the more difficult stretch of the schedule. So I think what the Rockets see this stretch as now, with Golden State having their injuries and of course this being the road stretch three and four nights for Houston as a thing where if the Rockets keep it at four games or even build it beyond that because the Warriors play in San Antonio tomorrow night, if you're able to further build that lead, then I think it makes it all the easier over the ten games that closed the season, mostly against lesser opponents, to rest guys like Clint, I would say Clint's concerns me a little more than James, because we've seen the thumb bothering Clint for a few games. He was actually mentioned as probable... Before the Clipper game last Thursday, it first appeared in the injury report on Wednesday, so he's at least been dealing with it for half a week that we know of. With James, it seemed like an acute situation tonight. It bothered him for a couple of minutes. By the end of the game, in which he finished off with another dagger three. By the way, how many teams? It feels like he's there have been more NBA teams that have been finished off by a James Harden dagger three than teams that have not. He has been so money with those late-in games. With James, I tend to think it's more acute. If they have any concerns, of course, they'll go through an x-ray, an MRI, whatever the precautionary diagnostic test they need to run to feel good about it, but ultimately, the Rockets, their medical staff, they can take pretty good gauges of situations on the sideline, and I feel pretty confident, especially with a four-game lead with 12 to play, they're not going to be pushing those guys out there if it was anything even remotely concerning. My guess is that both Harden and Capella, maybe Capella a hair more, fall into the category of you can't really make it worse but also it's probably not going to get better if they don't play. So it's a matter of kind of picking and choosing when you get that rest, and I think the Rockets feel like if they can get these wins on this road trip, then when the schedule eases up down the stretch, that makes it all the more reasonable to rest those guys then, especially if your lead is pretty much insurmountable, which certainly it's getting to. Let's discuss that before we even go into the two games. The lead at this point, we mentioned effective four-game lead because of the tiebreaker on Golden State, a literal four-game lead on Toronto. To put it in perspective, if the Rockets finish the year eight and four, and keep in mind this is the Rockets team fifty six and fourteen now that is now at an eight hundred winning clip on the year eighty percent of their games. If they finish the year eight and four, which is just two thirds, basically below sixty seven percent, that's far off their averages. If they finish eight and four, the Warriors and Raptors, either team would have to finish twelve and zero to catch them. If the Rockets finish nine and three, which is a seven fifty winning clip, which is still below their season-long average. There's nothing that the Warriors or Raptors could even do. Even 12-0 would not be enough. So that's why this lead is so commanding for the Rockets. And really, when you look at the upcoming schedule, I want to start by looking forward. Because for the Rockets, everything... We know how good this team is at 56-14. and 14. We learned more tonight. You can see the character in wins like these on the road. But beyond that, when you look forward to what they have... At Portland on Tuesday night, Portland, a very good team. That's not going to be easy. But after that, home for Detroit, home for New Orleans, home for Atlanta, home for Chicago, home for Phoenix. That's a five-game homestand, four against teams that are not going to be in the playoffs, and one against the Pelicans, a team that's barely hanging in. For the five games, you will be double-digit favorites. And the Pelicans, I'd imagine... Probably about eight, eight and a half. So, once you get through this game on Tuesday in Portland, you're going to be enormous favorites for a while. You can rest guys if you need. And quite frankly, my expectation is that at a minimum, your lead is four games coming off of that Tuesday night game in Portland because Golden State, with all their guys out against the San Antonio team at home, scrapping for their playoff lives. The Spurs are going to be big favorites in that game tomorrow, so even if you lose at Portland, if that's offset by the Warriors losing in San Antonio, well, you're going to be in just the same position you are today, but with 11 games left, instead of 12, so in other words, even stronger, and if you can get that game in Portland, and it's not impossible because it's not going to be on the back end of a back-to-back, the Rockets will be rested, then at that point, a five-game lead with 11 to play with that weaker stretch coming up, to me, that would be... Officially insurmountable, and also, I think that five game stretch all at home. My opinion that's what the Rockets have their eyes on. If there are any nagging injuries, like what we mentioned with James Harden and Clint Capella, that is when you address them. I think with these, you're putting pedal to the pedal, pedal to the metal, not pedal to the pedal. Sorry about that. Uh, You're trying to get this to insurmountable status. You're almost there, not quite, but you want to get this to insurmountable status as soon as possible. And if you're able to get that, and I think there's a decent shot that maybe even after tomorrow night, if the Warriors lose in San Antonio, but I would say certainly there's an opportunity by the end of Tuesday night in Portland, I think you'll officially be there. And then you can switch from the grind that you're in now, just find a way to get each and every game by any means necessary to start playing more of a long game once you get on this homestand against weaker opponents. Now, that's our initial segment tonight on Lockdown Rockets because we're recapping two games. The last we spoke was on Friday. We had two games, weekend back-to-back, Saturday night in New Orleans, Sunday night in Minnesota. It didn't really make sense to do a show in between because there's so little time. And also, I know folks are busy on weekends anyway, so it's not great for listen. So that's why I want to start with what the two wins mean, Rockets proving the 56 and 14 on the year, and why it puts them in such a strong position scheduling-wise. Segment two, let's discuss what happened in these games. I'll start with Sunday because it's the most recent. This one's so remarkably impressive because the Rockets had a 77-56 to lead at the half. Night two of a road back-to-back in which they got in to their hotel, I heard, about 1.30 a.m. To be able to do this against a Minnesota team that's scrapping and playing for its playoff lives, a Minnesota squad led by Carl Anthony Towns, a stud in the middle, That beat the Golden State Warriors, Golden State Warriors with Klay Thompson, with Kevin Durant, with Draymond Green, all playing 35 plus minutes, two of them playing 39 and 40 minutes. So by the way, when you hear this garbage about the Warriors not really caring about the one seed or giving it up. Yeah, point back to that Warriors Minnesota game last Sunday on that same floor. The Warriors wanted it pretty bad. That's why they played all those guys extended minutes. Ultimately, the Timberwolves are a good team, even without Jimmy Butler. Carl Anthony Towns, he is a beast. They got that win over the Warriors. They were not able to get that win over the Rockets, even with the Rockets on night two of a road back-to-back. Now, certainly it helped that Minnesota was also on a back-to-back. They played in San Antonio on Saturday evening, so it was not easy travel for them either, but they were playing at home, resting in their own bed, so I think you'd give them a slight bit of an advantage, also, with so many young legs in their... Mentioned Carl Anthony Towns, who had 20-18 and 18 on 60% shooting. Andrew Wiggins, substantially better than the last time we saw him, 21 points on 50% shooting. Jeff Teague, 23-11-6. and six. A lot of quality players there, but ultimately the Rockets found a way to do what the Warriors could not last Sunday, which is get the win in Minnesota, on the road, against a game Minnesota team. And what's so impressive about it, you can point to a lot of individuals, certainly James Harden, 34 points. 12 assists, 4 rebounds. Clint Capella, again, held his own against Carl Anthony Towns. 16 points, 12 rebounds, 3 blocks, including an enormous one down the stretch, right at the apex. Initially called a goal ten, but fortunately, the last couple of minutes, it allows the officials to review it, and they were able to see that, no, it was not a goaltend, a perfect block by Clint Capella. So there are lots of individual standouts in this. James, in addition to 34-12, and 12, he shot 50%, got to the line 14 times, made all of those, but on top of all of those things... What I really liked the most was that the Rockets went out, and as I mentioned, 77-56. to They took care of business in the first half and played from in front. Because when your legs are tired, and make no mistake about it, the Rockets, as more of a veteran team and certainly away from home on night two of a back-to-back, both on the road, they are the more tired team in this situation. What you want to do is play from in front so that you're not trying to catch up in the second half. Because what's almost always true about these back-to-back scenarios, your legs are going to be fresher on the front end than on the back end, because the front end, oftentimes, you're playing through adrenaline. By late in the second half of the second game, that's when your legs are going to fade. thought you could see it. The Rockets by quarter, 38, 39, then in quarters three and four, 30 and just 22, the legs started to fade. They actually, in the first half, they were 11 of 19 from three. They finished the second half 5 of 16. That's actually because they made two of their final three. One big one from Trevor Ariza when it was five for three minutes to push it back up to eight. Then the dagger from James Harden with just over a minute to go to push the lead to nine. They actually started the half 3 of 13, which I think reflects those tired legs. Defense slipped a little bit. I don't want to say the first half defense was perfect because the Timberwolves scored 33 in the second quarter, 56 points. So I don't want to say that the Timberwolves, who scored 56 points in the First half and 64 points in the second, the Rockets' legs were a little more tired. I don't think it was a night and day difference. I thought the bigger difference was on the offensive end of the floor when you just seemed like the pace fell, the threes, a lot of them were short-rimmed. But fortunately, the Rockets were able to play from in front. That is the single biggest thing in this situation. And then, after the Timberwolves cut it to five with three minutes to go, the Rockets won those final three minutes convincingly. They called a timeout, they regrouped, and Mentioned the Ariza and Harden threes. Those are big. But in general, I thought James was much better tonight at driving the basketball. Now, 34-12 and 12 tonight, Saturday night, he had 34, uh, 32, excuse me, 8 assists, 11 rebounds. He's the MVP frontrunner. He's brilliant for a reason. But Saturday, he was a little less efficient. 11 of 28 from the field, just got to the free-throw line eight times, whereas Sunday got to the line 14 times, made all of those, also shot 50% from the field, even though he was just 2 of 9 from 3, which tells you he was 7 of 9 from inside the arc. So he took nine shots inside, made seven of them, also had a nifty teardrop late in the game that he rattled in, got to the line 14 times, made all of those, also had 12 assists compared to 8, Maybe the legs weren't all the way there for the threes, especially for James with the workload he has to carry, played 38 minutes in New Orleans to get a, ga- get a win against a very game New Orleans squad that was clearly wanting it in every possible way on Anthony Davis for MVP night, which by the way, undercut by his own coach, Alvin Gentry, saying before the game that Harden was the clear MVP, which kudos to Alvin for honesty. That always wins out, even if your marketing department is trying to score some cheap, fan points by uh, shaving beards and whatever silliness they were doing with the brows before that game. But to get back to James, I don't think he pushed the tempo quite as much in New Orleans. And even though both games, you could look at both games similarly from a topical perspective in that both of them, you had a 20-point lead early in the second half, and then it got hairy at one point in the fourth quarter. So just from from a broad, big-picture standpoint, you could say that, yeah, why don't the Rockets close out games better, or hold on to leads better, and superficially that's true, but I think it's important to note the nuance of how each game got there. The New Orleans game, in my opinion, I don't know if it was tired legs, or playing the clock too much, or a combination of those, whatever it may be, but I thought the biggest problem on the front end in New Orleans was that, for whatever reason, you started far too late. You played the clock. So many possessions. When the Rockets were in that awkward stage in the fourth quarter, when they were up 8, 10, 12 points, not enough for it to be a blowout, but close enough, uh, but comfortable enough, I should say, that it's not like you felt like you desperately had to score that possession. There was far too much of a focus on just bleeding the clock down. Maybe Hard was a little bothered because he wasn't getting the calls. It seems Saturday, d- despite Gentry having a near stroke after the game, complaining about the officials. They really didn't grant many free throws either way. 18 for the Rockets, 12 for the Pelicans. It was a bit of a physical game. So maybe there was a little bit of kind of, I don't know, annoyance that the officials were letting a lot of physical play go. But whatever the reason, you just have to trust that eventually the right call is going to be made. Just play your game down the stretch. And Saturday in New Orleans, what I thought the problem was there were too many possessions where sometimes Paul, but mostly Harden, waited until four or five seconds were left on the 24. And started his movement. And at that point, it boxed them in. The clock boxed them in because the other team did not have to respect the defense, being the Pelicans in this case, his ability to pass the ball and initiate offense somewhere else. What makes both James Harden and Chris Paul such lethal offensive players, especially in isolation, is because of how well-rounded they are. Yes, they can shoot. Yes, they have great handles. But in addition to that, they can pass well, so if they see a leverage situation 3-on-2, 2-on-1 two, two elsewhere, they can kick it. Even if it's not a wide-open shooter, they can still see advantages and kick it there, or they can be very good at anticipating contact and seeing when there's going to be a likely foul scenario so they can get to the line. But in most of those situations, you want to start your action at 7 or 8 seconds so that the defense has to be aware and account for multiple potential options of where you can go with that play. When you wait until four or five seconds, you become entirely too predictable. You don't have to respect the pass-off, what's going to happen if there's a two-on-one somewhere else, or if you commit as far as going up for a shot, if there's not enough time for him to draw the foul, then you're just, overall, you're hurting your diversity in your attack when you wait that late. And I know the Rockets, since the start of February, they have been one of the slowest-paced teams in the NBA. And I think the Rockets would like to be a little faster paced than they are. I think they want to be run and gun. I think they'd probably want to be middle of the pack. But they've proven, certainly, they can win playing slowdown as well. Chris Paul, an excellent half-court point guard. Both Chris and James, who are the best isolation players on the planet. So you can win playing slow pace, but a lot of these slow pace possessions that we've seen from the Rockets, you still initiate with seven or eight seconds left on the shot clock. That's still slow pace, but it's enough time where the defense has to respect the other options of what you can do with a given play. In New Orleans, on the front end, I don't think they did that enough, for whatever reason. Either they got too cute trying to move the clock, maybe James was bothered by not getting the whistles, only eight free throw attempts, and three of them came, uh, actually four of the eight, came on that one sequence in which Holiday got him on a three-pointer, and then Gentry got a foul, uh, a technical foul, whining about it. Other than that sequence, Harden had just four free throws the entire game, and he had 28 field goal attempts, which is a very unharden-like line. So, There's lots of potential reasons as to why. But Saturday night, I thought that was the real story. They boxed themselves in with the clock, started far too late. Sunday? I don't really think that happened. Sunday, I thought you saw the Rockets much more proactive with the lead. I thought generally the Timberwolves got wore back into it by what they were doing on the offensive end of the floor. We mentioned the 64 points that had in the second half. Tip your hat to Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, two top picks, very talented young players, Jeff Teague, one of the more... I don't know if you call him grizzled, but established point guards for a while. There's a lot of playmakers there. It's a team desperate to make the playoffs. They got going. Also, probably should have been more of a runaway, if not for them getting traction on the silly Gerald Green ejection. If y'all follow me on Twitter, at Ben Dubose, y'all know my thoughts on the ridiculousness of that. I don't want to go into it too much on this podcast, because fortunately it didn't really impact the game, other than in a stretch where the Rockets could have built up the lead, ultimately it was still able to, uh, the Timberwolves actually were able to cut it because they ended up getting the free throw advantage out of that sequence because Gerald was ejected. But either way, I thought it was more of the Timberwolves Excuse me, making plays on the offensive side of the floor. Tip your hat to those young guys. But as far as Chris and James, I thought they did a much better job of controlling what they could control. James, 9 of 8. We mentioned 34 and 12. Chris, haven't been through his stat line tonight. 18 points, 9 assists, 8 rebounds. 4 of 8 that's 50% shooting. Also got to the line 10 times, made 9 of them. Both of those guys were much more aggressive between Harden and Chris Paul. Got to the free throw line 24 times, made 23 of those. The assist 23 or 21 assists, excuse me, to just seven turnovers between them. So when you get to the line 24 times, make 23 of them, and you have 21 combined assists, that's much more than just looking for your own jumper. That is the dominant isolation players that we know them as, that's the Rockets getting back to basics. And tonight, I didn't see them waiting until the very end of the shot clock. Now, they wait until later in the shot clock, but as I was explaining, there's a world of difference between initiating your action with six, seven, eight seconds left as opposed to 2, 3, or 4. I thought last night they were much more, for whatever reason, either tuning the officials out, focusing on the clock, some kind of combination of both, whereas tonight, I don't know necessarily that the focus ever left. I thought there were some weird things between the Gerald ejection, which seemed to fire up the crowd. Also, the brief stretch in which Harden's hand seemed to be bothering him for a couple of minutes. There were some turnovers in there. One, he and Capella were out of sync on a pass. Another, he tried to not even touch the ball with his right hand, just with his left, and ended up going out of bounds. There were just some flukish things in the fourth quarter that led to turnovers, and it took until late in the game for the Rockets to, they called that timeout. As I said, they regrouped, after it, But I don't think they were ever tactically doing anything wrong. There were just some crazy, flukish bounces. Also, the brief injuries with Capella and Harden that kind of took a brief toll. When it mattered, the Rockets tactically Sunday night in Minnesota, I thought they attacked well. Yes, Minnesota did cut the lead from 20 down to 5. However, I thought the Rockets in general did a much better job of just running their offense, sticking with what works, and ultimately that's why they were able to finish the game on a 14-10 to uh, 10 kick over the final three minutes, uh, 14 points in the final three minutes, by the way, nothing to sneeze at at all, and reflects the Rockets, after that timeout, just very calmly going back out there and running uh, their offense, led by James Harden, who had the dagger three, but also he he had the floater, he had the lob to Clint Capella, just a much more well-rounded game from both James and Chris, not that they were bad on Saturday, but you could say both not quite as efficient. Chris on Saturday, 21, eight rebounds five assists, but it was just eight of nineteen from the field. Sunday night, both, even on night two of a road back to back, they were more efficient. And the big reason why? Well they got to the free throw line twenty four times as we said. And also they attacked more, twenty one assists on Sunday night compared to thirteen on Saturday. So if your legs aren't gonna be there for threes, now the Rockets were okay on threes, fifty to forty one, but that's largely because of playoff the er, excuse me, sorry, I'm going back and forth between box scores. Let me reboot. They were better than okay on Sunday from the line. The stat I mentioned earlier, fifteen to forty-one, that was Saturday from three, which is thirty-seven percent. Sunday they were sixteen of thirty-five, which continues to string, which they shot well against Minnesota, forty-five percent. But of that sixteen of thirty-five, a lot of it came from your bench. Ryan Anderson, Gerald Green, and Eric Gordon, who had seven made threes between them. We'll touch on them in the final segment of this show, in which we kind of address the role players and how we've gotten more out of them since that close Thursday night game against the Clippers. But Chris and James, between them, were actually just 3 of 12, 25% from behind the arc. So they did not really have the stroke from distance, but it didn't matter because they were much more aggressive and involved and engaged on the drive, and maybe that's how you offset not having a leg for two guys who are asked the most of, Chris and James Played uh, 35 and 37 minutes on Sunday night, and on Saturday night, they played 33 and 38, so certainly they have the highest usage, their legs aren't there, and even if we saw that a little bit late in the the second half on Saturday, when we saw some decline in the offense, well, they adjusted Sunday by taking the ball to the rack more. If the legs on the threes weren't there, well, fine, they got to the free throw line, they set up plays for their teammates, and ultimately, that's where you had an improvement, I thought, between the two of them, both James and Chris, you can't say much negative about guys who are as good as they are, especially when you win two games on the road against playoff teams, but even though the stat lines look similar, I thought Sunday was a much better game for both of them because of the efficiency, 50% from the field for each, 21 assists combined versus 13, and then the 24 free throw attempts combined as opposed to just 10 on Saturday. So even if the three-point stroke wasn't there, they made the adjustments, and I thought in the second half, even though the Wolves did, it was superficially similar from the standpoint of they did cut into what was once a massive lead. Ultimately, I thought the Rockets reacted much better, and it wasn't just like they were trying to bleed the clock out, which was the case on Saturday in New Orleans. Sunday, I thought, especially in the final three minutes after that timeout and after Harden got his hand back settled down, I thought you saw the Rockets much more proactive on the attack, trying to actually finish out the game, and kudos to them, they did, Again, 129, 120 winners, improving to 56 and 14 on the year. Now, the final segment, we spent most of the show discussing the two big guns, Chris Paul and James Harden. Because as we said, 34 and 12 for James on Sunday night, Chris 18, 9, and 8, both 50% shooting. Saturday night, James 32, 11, and 8, Chris Paul 21, 8, and 5, got wins on both ends. But what I think is really interesting, since the last time we talked, on, which was on Friday, following the Clipper game, you did not have many contributions at all from your supporting cast other than Eric Gordon. And Eric Gordon this weekend, I don't want to say that he was poor, because he actually made four of his nine shots, it's just overall he did not get the volume of quality looks that he got in that Clipper game. Maybe both teams scouted him a little better and were not going to let Eric Gordon beat them after that scintillating performance he had, 7 of 9 from behind the arc, in that game against the Clips. What I thought was most encouraging was the growth we saw, continued growth in the case of Clint Capella, from essentially all your front court options, because we spend so much capital on this podcast discussing James and Chris, for obvious reasons, and Eric Gordon, because his revival since coming back from the injuries to food poisoning, it's been a big story. But Clint Capella, I mentioned that going into Thursday, it had been an underwhelming march for him after averaging over 16 and 12 in February, first month of his career, in which he had... Average above 30 minutes per game. Maybe there were some tired legs. Lately, he's had the sprained thumb, which we addressed earlier. But even with the sprained thumb, he has really bounced back. He has found the second win all three games following up the Clipper game, in which he had 19, 12, and 6. Tonight, he had 16 and 12. Saturday, matched up against Anthony Davis, 13 and 11. Three consecutive um, double-doubles. And in all of them, he had at least three blocks, three blocks tonight, three blocks Saturday night, and of course, six against the Clippers. So he's even becoming a bigger difference maker on the defensive end of the floor as well. And in each of those, he also played 30 or more minutes, 30 Saturday, 31 on Sunday, and 36 against the Clippers. So if there were any tired legs from Clint Capella, he seems to be overcoming that in a big way, even when going against three consecutive really good big men, DeAndre Jordan, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, these are not guys that you want to throw Nene and Brandon Wright out there for extended stretches, and Nene did not even play on Sunday. But this is the kind of big man where a 35-year-old Nene, Tarek Black, Brandon Wright, there's still no timetable for his return with the knee injury. Clint Capella is the only real big man that you can trust against some of the younger bigs that are that springy, and even though it had not been the best stretch for Clint going into that game on Thursday, and even dealing with a sprained thumb, that's bothering him clearly because he's been holding it at times throughout the game. He has not just gutted it out. He has thrived. He's been a difference maker for three consecutive games now. Aside from Clint, though, the story on Thursday, three of 17 was the combined shooting from P.J. Tucker and Trevor Ariza. Well, they bounced back in a big way. Saturday night in New Orleans, those two guys combined nine of 17. More impressively, they were a combined seven of 14. That's 50% from behind the arc. Now, You didn't get that much from your bench, but it was okay, because when you have Chris James, Clint, and then Trevor and PJ are picking up the slack, and both Trevor and PJ clearly wanted to redeem themselves for an off night on Thursday, that was enough. On Sunday, they weren't quite as crisp, but maybe that's because you have two veterans and Trevor and PJ, they were feeling it on the front end, so they played over 30 minutes each. Well, night two... When your guys that carried did the heavy lifting, now Chris and James did the heavy lifting on both ends, but there's obviously a higher standard for those guys. In terms of role players, probably not reasonable to have both of those guys be dynamic, especially from a shooting perspective, for two consecutive nights. So even though you saw some regression, Trevor 4 of 11, PJ was 4 of 9, actually 3 of 5 from 3. So when it came to three-point shooting, it actually combined 6 of 13, which was still really, really good. But P.J. played just 24 minutes. Not sure how much you want to ask him. Well, I guess the other part of the story with P.J., he also fouled out six in his 24 minutes. I thought some of his fouls came from probably being a little fatigued. He grabbed and reached a little more than you would normally see him. So the bottom line, you needed more of an instant impact from guys off the bench. And Ryan Anderson, he made his return on Saturday, Relatively nondescript, zero points, three rebounds, took two threes and missed them, small sample, but after missing a couple weeks with the hip flexor, he's trying to ease his way back in. Well, Sunday in Minnesota, played just 17 minutes, but boy, did he make the most of it. Four of six from the field, including four of five from three. Also, when the Timberwolves started adjusting him being that hot, also had a couple of assists, continued to move the ball well in the first half, was a plus 12 in his 17 minutes. Then Luke Bamute, three of five, Gerald Green, Five of five, including two threes. One thing that I have really liked from Mike D'Antoni over the past week, he's starting to get a feel for how to best optimize Joe Johnson and Gerald Green. One of the things we first heard when Joe Johnson signed with the Rockets from David Locke, who's covered in the last two years in Utah, was that Joe Johnson's performance slips dramatically in these situations where he's playing on no rest or even one day's rest, and it improves a lot when he is springer, when he's had some days off, and that's to be expected with a 36-year-old. Well, the one guy who it might not be the case with is Gerald Green, who's not had that much mileage, especially this year, and can be quite springy at times. So on both back-to-backs in the past week, Dallas and San Antonio last week, and now New Orleans and Minnesota this weekend, you've seen Gerald Green play on the second end. And both of those, he has been an enormous difference maker. His energy was big tonight, 12 points, 5 of 5 shooting, made both of his threes... Tonight he wasn't a presence on the glass, I guess because the Rockets didn't necessarily need him to be, with uh, Clint getting 12 boards, Chris getting 8, but and of course the Timberwolves are a better rebounding team anyway, but against the Spurs last Monday, he delivered there as well, actually had 9 rebounds in his 20 minutes, which is phenomenal, and in both cases, even though Gerald made his 3s tonight, Monday against the Spurs, he was just 4 of 11, and Gerald really made his 3s or not. It was a much-needed shot of energy when a lot of your regulars were probably a little lethargic from being on night two of a back-to-back. And so I think you're starting to see Mike D'Antoni get more of a feel for when it's best to deploy those guys. Now, we still have to wait and see what happens with Ryan Anderson back. Now, Joe Johnson did not play at all tonight. Ryan Anderson did. Joe Green did. I don't think it's necessarily committing to not playing Joe the rest of the year. I think some of it is just adjusting to Gerald's legs and realizing that you probably need to do something different on night two of road back to back, especially, especially against quality opponents. Long term, we're still going to have to see where Joe fits, where Gerald fits, where Ryan fits, but I think Ryan's going to get his minutes back. You need him as a floor spacer, especially in a matchup like this. By the way, the Rockets have won all four against the Timberwolves, three of them by 18 points, and tonight's by nine, so I think you feel pretty good about that as far as your potential playoff matchups first or second round. I think this is one you feel pretty comfortable with. But as far as Gerald, Joe, and Ryan, I think that's what Mike is trying to figure out over these last few weeks of the year, when to deploy those guys, also how they play together. I actually thought what was pretty intriguing, Gerald and Ryan seem to play very well off one another, especially in the first half. Now it's a one-game sample, but if it turns out that those two guys have some good synergies and chemistry together, then maybe that offsets whatever advantage you think you have when it comes to um, Joe Johnson and his veteran savvy, his isolation. So that's something I think Mike D'Antoni, to really get a full grasp on where each of these guys is, you would be able to play all three of those guys, mix and match, see what combinations work. And now that Ryan's back, I think that's one of those storylines to watch. Luke Bamute tonight only played 19 minutes. He could conceivably play a lot more than that. It wasn't necessarily Luke's game. Now he did make, as I mentioned, three of five shots, plus eight felt the game in which the Rockets were flowing so well offensively that they wanted the extra shooting of Gerald and Ryan, but conceivably he could play more minutes in 19 and that could further squeeze the minutes for those three of Ryan, Gerald, and Joe. All I'm saying, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily assume that now it's going to be Gerald and Ryan. I think Joe is going to get opportunities, but you're probably only going to have a chance to play two of them at most by the time you get to the playoffs. Maybe only one, And maybe one and a half is more reasonable, one regularly and the other playing eight to ten spot minutes here or there, and maybe if they catch fire, playing a little longer than that. But in my opinion, none of those three is so individually dominant that they're locks. They each have their own unique virtues. So what I think you want to see from Mike and Tony more than anything else is an open mind and find ways to see... If there's any chemistry, certain synergies between certain pairings of those, as, and also, for that matter, pairings with other players in the Rockets roster. When you had both Gerald and Ryan out there with James Harden in particular, I thought the spacing was tremendous. Maybe that's something that you consider. Also, Gerald, we mentioned night two of a road back-to-back. Maybe this is an ideal scenario for him because his fresh lights did a lot against San Antonio on Monday and now uh, Sunday against Minnesota And maybe a slower half-court game is better for Joe Johnson, who is probably the best of the three, actually creating his own shot off the bounce or in the post. So there's all sorts of things that each of those brings to the table. And I think to really start kind of figuring out where each fits, you first need to have all three active at the same time. So finally, as of this weekend, with Ryan Anderson back, and fortunately, he does seem to be healthy, as evidenced by his... 14 points on four or five from behind the arc on Sunday night against the Timberwolves. Now he's got those back. That's the other thing to watch down the stretch is who gets hot amongst those, who gets squeezed out. I'm not going to assume that Joe has been squeezed out based on one game, night two or back to back, especially because Gerald played so well in that situation on Monday and Joe historically, his numbers aren't good in these situations. So it's just one game. I'm not going to assume that Gerald and Ryan are ahead of Joe at this point, but it's something to watch because in my opinion, with the Rockets being where they are in the standings, you're pretty close to uh, locking up the number one seed. So down the stretch of the year, it's going to be less about having to win every game for the sake of the standings. and It's going to be more about finding out, well, first, it's going to be resting, making sure everybody's healthy. But beyond that, finding out exactly what the right combinations are and getting people in as good a rhythm as you possibly can heading into the postseason. And so with that bench, now that you finally have all of your options ready to go. In my opinion, that's the storyline to watch as we head down the home stretch of the final 12 games, assuming knock on wood that the Rockets are able to hold on to this number one seed. So on that note, I will wrap up. Uh, As always, thanks to you guys for listening. Apologies for going a little bit long. Thought that was necessary in this case because we had two games to discuss rather than the usual one. But now with this done, we'll get back into our regular daily routine the rest of the week and, of course, get back to our individual game recap after Tuesday night's game, where the Rockets have a late one in Portland against the red-hot Portland Trailblazers, so until then, well, I might have a show before then. We'll see what I can line up on the interview front. But until uh, later in the week, I will sign off. As always, appreciate you guys listening. If you want more from me? Best place to get it is on Twitter. I am at Ben Dubose. Show is at Locked on Rockets. Also, email lockedonrockets at gmail.com. Facebook at facebook.com slash lockdown rockets or website lockdownrockets.com. always you can see our content interact with me ask me questions about the team make suggestions for the show inquire about becoming a potential sponsor our numbers are great these days based on how much the Rockets are winning now 22 of their past 23 games after having 17 game winning streak snapped what have they done facing a pretty tough stretch of the schedule well they've won five more in a row heading into uh, Tuesday night's game against Portland if they win that one Look out, because as I mentioned, the last five games of this month, five-game homestand, you're going to be favorites, I would say in four of them, by double digits, and the other one, home and starting against New Orleans, I'd say at least by seven or eight points at a minimum. So if you can get this one Tuesday in Portland, yeah, you might have another great winning streak on your hands very soon. But either way, that's why we have a lot of listeners. It's a booming audience for the best team in the NBA, so if you want to be a part of that please reach out. We can help your business and lockdownrockets at gmail.com. That's the best way to inquire. We've got really good rates and lots of studies show people really prefer to buy uh, content from products that are spoken for by podcasters because, well, oftentimes they connect and they resonate. So if you're interested in me helping out your business that way, I would absolutely love to hear from you. Again, lockdownrockets at gmail.com is the email address. So in signing off, the two happy finals from this weekend, Rockets 129, Timberwolves 120, that's Sunday night, and then Saturday night, Rockets 107, Pelicans 101. Rockets now 56-14 and on the year, effectively with a four-game lead in the race for home court advantage throughout the NBA playoffs on both the Warriors and Raptors, with only 12 games left to play. So on that note, folks, welcome to your new week. Sorry it's Monday. I'm sure uh, it's not exactly a happy return to work for most of us, but with the Rockets playing like this, It's not like you can be too down on anything. So folks, have a good start to your work week. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be talking again very soon right here at Lockdown Rockets, your home for daily coverage of the Houston Rockets, who, by the way, remain the best team in basketball.